I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me 12 drummers drumming and then a whole bunch of other things. Well, lords are leaping. Lords are leaping. Partridges and pear trees. I don't understand. But welcome to This Week in Church History, our Christmas special. We're going to be talking about Christmas in church history. We will be debunking some myths. We'll be talking about stories relating to Christmas, and we are so glad that you have chosen to join with us for this very special episode, our last one for the year 2020, and what a year it has been. <laughs> I, I hope we're not going to debunk Father Christmas. Um, well, we're going to talk about Father Christmas, otherwise known in the rest of the world as Santa Claus. Mm. Chris yeah. Kringle. Chris Kringle. Should we throw in a Krampus as well? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, again, this is a, uh, a, a time for us to discuss all kinds of things relating to Christmas. Christmas is, I think, in at least an American religious tradition, uh, Christmas almost feels like the high point of, uh, of the year. It's, it's closing out one year, and uh, we're, we're celebrating all of those things. We are giving gifts. Um, Yet this idea of Christmas, uh, which in many of our churches almost feels like the high point of the year uh, on our non-liturgical calendars, uh, it it wasn't originally that way uh, for the church as a whole. In fact, we don't really get a December 25th until the 4th century. Yeah, we're, we're not celebrating the birth of Christ, you know, for the first 300 years or so because... The importance is the resurrection. That's right. So the the church year for for our listeners who aren't a part of a maybe liturgical tradition. So especially those of as a Baptist, the the church did have a a rhythm and a flow of when they celebrated certain things, and everything pointed to Easter. That was the high point of the year. Everything centered and and moved off of that. So when we think through Christmas as a holy day. Um, as a holy season, uh, we again, we don't see evidence until the fourth century. What seems to be the cause of that? Why, well, why do they not do that? I mean, that's a confirmation in itself um, that we don't know when Christ was born, specifically, technically, um, because that wasn't seen as what was really important. That's right. And and anyway, the the idea of celebrating a birthday was a very pagan thing, and and so the church I think steered away from that too because of its background and heritage, and and so what becomes important is the resurrection. Now we don't have a New Testament scholar here with us. It is interesting when you read uh, the the narrative in Luke, and and we have shepherds out in their fields. Um, Many people think that just given the way that uh, that life worked uh, in that time period, that more than likely Jesus was born kind of in spring, maybe late spring. Well, you don't keep your sheep out in midwinter. No, snow you don't. on snow. You don't. It's hard to see them. Uh, <laughs> they disappear. <laughs> so, and it's cold keeping watch over your flocks by night. You want it to be a little warmer. Uh, so th- this is a... We're thinking about this more than likely. We're thinking about the birth of Christ uh, in the springtime. So this idea of December 25th, I I remember talking with uh, someone uh, during my university days. Uh, They were pretty 
pretty convinced that Christianity was was fake and a hoax. And uh, he made the claim that all Christianity did was steal a pagan holiday. Now, when we think about December 25th, did we steal a pagan holiday? Is that what that is? We Christianized a day that had already been set aside. And, and a lot of this has to do with Constantine as Roman emperor. Right. And, and so one of the big ideas, you know, his favorite god pre-Christ was um, Sol Invictus, the unconquered son, right. Mithras. And so the day that was celebrated as his birthday was December 25th. Yep. And so what better, uh, what more proof of his conversion to Christ as the Son of God to take the day that Constantine had set aside, along with millions of others, as this very important day, and now show that this was Christ's day, that he was the true Son of God. What So what they're doing is they're taking a cultural moment, they're appropriating a, a, a cultural moment when people already were celebrating were already news and pointing to Christ. Uh, this, this is an incredible uh, way of trying to turn the tables pretty much on those who were pagan at the time. We, we actually have in, in 336 the first time that it shows up actually on a calendar as a celebration of Christmas um, and, and, and celebrating of Christ's birth and uh, his incarnation. Now, well, with Constantine, you know, there's so much that is good and so much that is bad, uh, so much that is debated even about his own conversion. And, and, you know, was it a good thing to set aside this day? Well, of course, Constantine has his own heritage as a pagan believer, uh, somebody who was interested in the birth of, mm -hmm. quote, gods, so that now with Christ, a day is set aside for his own birth. Um, and of course, you know, the fourth century was a massive century of change of, you know, the, the kind of institutionalization of the church. And, and a, a lot of that we did see becomes negative for Christianity. Persecution does stop, yes, which of course is a great thing. But then you have a, a nominalization of the church, of Christianity, a, a, a laxity, an encouragement to be a member of the church because it's accepted or encouraged even by imperial power. That's exactly right. And so uh, we're inheritors of that, whether it's uh, good, bad, or, or, or ugly. And, and as that, it is important to know that there, there already was a, a day set apart uh, that's often referred to as Epiphany. Uh, which we would mark on the 6th of uh, January, which was a day um, when uh, in certain traditions that the, the church recognized the visit of the Magi and their giving of gifts. Uh, other aspects of, of Christendom recognized it as uh, the day when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Um, but Epiphany was was kind of a day where that was at least somewhat acknowledged that Jesus was king, right? This, this idea of the incarnation. Um, so for, uh, one of the early discoveries, uh, I had relating to Christmas, uh, and, and the whole song of the 12 days of Christmas never made sense to me. I, I didn't quite understand that. 
But when you get Epiphany on the 6th, the giving of gifts, and then you backtrack, it's 12 days from December 25th to Epiphany. Yeah, and you must have your Christmas tree down by 12th night. Yes, if you don't, you're it, it bursts into flames or something, it, I think. I, yeah, I, I don't think it goes well for you the next year. No, it's like a cracked mirror. It's bad luck for <laughs> the rest of the year. It's uh, we, we don't think about it. I thought just my HOA was the one who uh, cared about whether my Christmas decorations were still up or not. <laughs> it's uh, some of these traditions that, that we have. So this idea of the 12 days of Christmas was, was kind of a tradition in England uh, developed we, we think somewhere around uh, the, the 16th uh, or 17th century that uh, became this ruckus celebration. It, it was an excuse um, to um, have what they thought was a good time. It, it was an excuse to get drunk every day. It was an excuse to uh, carouse, they would say, and, and to enjoy life. And, and it, it really was a pretty bad almost fortnight um, mm-hmm. when, when anything seemed to be permitted. So 12 days of debauchery. Yeah. And that's what you got to do. And so this was a big party for 12 days. Nobody worked. Nobody did anything. Nobody, nobody could work. Nobody could work because it couldn't, it, it, you just were <laughs> incapacitated. Unless you were a Puritan. Unless you were a Puritan. And the Puritans hated Christmas. They had their own war on Christmas. What was going on with that? Yeah, if you think we've had a recent war on Christmas, it's nothing compared to the Puritans. <laughs> and, and yet that seems a kind of, you know, oxymoron, uh, a Puritan war on Christmas. They outlaw Christmas. What they're really doing is outlawing or, or drawing attention to the fact that it's not now being celebrated as anything to do with Christ, as anything to do with the gospel or his coming. Uh, it's simply an excuse to be bad. Well, and Cotton Mather, I think, writes this uh, really well. He's talking about this 12 days of Christmas. He said that, quote, men dishonored the Lord Jesus Christ more in the 12 days of Christmas than in the entire 12 months prior. It, it, it's a wonderful saying. And, and it illustrates perfectly, I think, how bad that period really was. Yeah. And, and this is what the Christmas tradition had become was, was simply how much excess uh, can we have uh, during this time and it be sanctioned. That's not the only reason why the Puritans didn't like Christmas. Uh, it had a lot more to do with the fact that uh, they didn't like holy days in general. Well, Christmas smacked to them of, of something that was too popish. It yeah. was too Catholic. To set aside any day as being more holy than another was a religious thing. It was a Catholic thing. Every day with Christ was to be a holy day. So if you set aside other days, it, it's becoming a kind of Catholic liturgy calendar thing. And, and, of course, they're Puritans because the things are not purified enough right. from Catholicism. And so this was one of their issues, that it really was smacking too much of what they'd come from, the kind of changes they want, the purification. So it wasn't just Christmas. It was Easter and yeah. a range of other things. 
So as they're fighting against uh, uh, Christmas, this, this is where I, I just think it's, it's so fascinating, even in our own history in the U.S., where the Puritans who, who settle here, their first Christmas, they spend it intentionally working in the fields. Yeah, it's illegal um, not to work. Um, it, it's, they have police and the authorities checking that people are not taking the day off. Yeah, Bradford, the following year, they've got some sailors that have uh, wintered uh, there with their colony <laughs> in the Massachusetts Bay Area. And uh, they are wanting to have a little bit of a celebration. And Bradford tells them they have to get to work. They cannot celebrate. Yeah. And, and you know, I think we mentioned earlier that, you know, Congress deliberately sit on Christmas uh, even until the 19th century. Um, that there was something ingrained, you know, from the Puritans onwards, their, their heritage and legacy that, you know, really it, it was a time not to be spent not working. It really was until 1870 when it's a national holiday and declared that you still have kids going to school on Christmas Day. You have people working. It's just a day. It's not anything special. Yeah, talk about the separation of church and state. I mean, it's kind of got turned on its head. It's, it was an amazing <laughs> thing in the 19th century in America. So uh, a different type of war on Christmas. That, that doesn't mean that people weren't finding things to celebrate. It just wasn't uh, ultimately that big of a deal. We have, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin uh, writing uh, in 1739 that it was, uh, you know, blessed season. Uh, where he was hoping for long devotion and even longer dinners. <laughs> yeah, the encouragement the encouragement here of believers was for a, a season where you reflected on the coming of Christ and what that really meant for the world. Goodwill and peace to all men. Yeah. So how do we get to, uh, some of our churches now celebrate Advent. What is Advent uh, in relation to Christmas? We're, we're remembering on the four Sundays uh, prior to Christmas, different aspects of the Christmas story. And again, it's a time of, of preparation. Now, a, again, in, in non-church calendar churches, Advent um, doesn't become you know, very important, let's say, or, or maybe even totally forgotten. Mm -hmm. So uh, I talk to my students a, a lot about Advent being kind of equivalent to Lent. So if we think about uh, Lent as it was originally con conceptualized as a uh, kind of a fasting and preparing your heart to worship the risen Christ and, and spending an intentional period of the calendar year um, focusing on who Jesus is and his work for us on the cross and, and the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Advent became pretty much the same preparing one's heart for the coming Christ. And the beauty of an Advent celebration, even in, in my own pastoral ministry, uh, to me was that, that expectation and the hope and tying together the uh, Old Testament passages that, that speak of the longing of the Messiah and the coming of Christ and putting all of these pieces together in a very uh, hopeful, helpful way. Um, I just love that imagery. And then, of course, on Christmas Eve, the, the final Christ candle being lit and celebrating that, that Christ has come. Such a powerful uh, imagery that can be found there. But you haven't mentioned about Father Christmas. Oh, have I? Okay, so for all of our listeners, if you're in the car with your, your kids, you might want to uh, 
maybe pause and, and wait till later. No, because he's a true person. Oh, he, he's, he's a true Nic- person. Okay. He's a bishop. He's Nicholas. He's from Turkey. He gives gifts to families anonymously at night. And, and you know, we celebrate him and remember him as this very godly individual uh, now personified as Father Christmas. So, um, again, for, for listeners here uh, in our American audience, uh, Father Christmas is the same thing as Santa Claus. Uh, it just, you know, the accent makes it sound so much better. But uh, anyway, uh, when, we, when we were raising our children, we liked to play the Santa Claus game, right? So our culture has embraced Santa Claus. We always called it a game that was played. But we told our kids the story of St. Nicholas, and then they would ruin Santa Claus for kind of everybody, uh, all of their friends. It was like, well, he was a real person, but he lived in the fourth century. (laughs) (laughs) But he has his elves who now carry on the work. Sure. Okay. Uh, We'll have to talk to you about that a little bit later. But why, why on earth do we get this idea of gift giving and you've kind of alluded to this with with tying it to to Saint Nicholas in the 4th century he actually was a, a a bit of a of a rogue bishop i mean he was uh he was imprisoned for his faith in Christ uh he he did time uh in prison uh, under Diocletian and yet after this he's he's continuing to push forward the claims of Christ into his community and yet giving gifts was a was a big part of that, of how he showed who Jesus was. He punches Arius, too. <laughs> oh, we got to get there. That's so good. Don't jump too fast to that. But that that's exactly what we think through uh, of him. One, one author, James Parker, has, has said uh, uh, he has a title of an article on, on, on uh, Santa Claus. He goes, persecuted, jailed, passionate. That's my kind of Santa Claus, right? <laughs> it, and the real tragic thing is, you know, you do have this real individual. He's something of a saint, and yet he really doesn't do miracles. He's an ordinary man. He's standing for the gospel. He's standing in it for faith in the midst of terrible persecution. Um, he works for the good. He maybe gives these gifts to this family to save the daughters um, going into prostitution or something so they can marry. These are dowries that he gives. Um, But we know so little about Nicholas, really. So much, you know, uh, that said is simply not confirmable. we're not saying it's not true, but so much is based on legend. So let's let's be really clear. So Nicholas, real guy. Uh, in fact, his his dates are two seventy to to three forty three. He ministers in Turkey. Um, we know he's present at uh, at uh, the Nicene Council. Um, well, even that's debated. That, that true. That is true. Uh, but overall, he he did. Serve, live, work. Now, anything beyond that becomes uh, there's different levels of legend, and some seem to be more true. Uh, the question that he was raised by a uh, godly family and um, came from a very wealthy background, and then that he gave away that wealth to people who were poor, uh, that seems to be more closer to the core kernel. 
But then we get into some of these other stories like um, punching Arius. And I, I love the memes that start showing up this time of year of, you know, Santa Claus punching a heretic. Yeah, I, I came to bring presents to children and punch heretics punch. one set. <laughs> I just ran out of presents. Um, you know. So good. Deck the halls. Well, try deck the heretic, you know. There's even a song, uh, I saw Santa punching Arius. Um <laughs> It, it, I think it's a wonderful idea and and picture and everything else. It may not be true. Let's be let's be honest here as historians. It may not be true, but I so want it to be true. Well, you know, even Arius could well not have been at Nicaea. He's not a bishop, so it would have been somewhat unusual for him to be there. So that's an issue. Uh, our records of Nicaea are not complete enough. Correct. We've lost the official records. So we only have the records of eyewitnesses who were there. And, of course, they're not complete or detailed enough or and, something. And the legend of, of this is a little late as well in terms and, of when it shows up. And that's the thing. So much gets added later. In the Middle Ages, um, you know, there is uh, St. Nicholas. The stories are going that uh, he uses his whip against Christians who've backslidden. And, and so he's pictured as, you know, bringing rewards, say, to the, those girls and then bringing judgment to backslidden Christians. So he's the one who's deciding whether you've been naughty or nice. It's exactly right. And so, uh, yeah, yeah that, that is such an amazing <laughs> picture of Santa Claus using not coal, but a whip yes. to get people in line. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and again, I think for believers, you know, there is so much or, or enough here to try and explain something of, of what Christmas has become um, without being killjoys and, and rejecting everything. So, you know, Father Christmas, um, this is the background and this is the legacy and this is where the story comes from. And, and that's why we still talk about him and that kind of thing. So we can get back to who Christ was through him. That's right. Without stopping with him. That's right. And that's one of the things that we did with our, with our children was, was to talk about the real story of a, a guy who actually lived, who loved Jesus. And he, yes. and he was generous and he cared for people. And uh, that was, and he was, a, he was a man who stood for truth, and that's what uh, we can remember as uh, as Santa Claus, and that is a fantastic thing to uh, implant in the the hearts and lives of your children. Except when they go and they tell their their friends that um, you know Santa was a uh, was a real man, but he doesn't have elves or a sleigh, and that's yeah. And they undo someone else's uh, Christmas tradition <laughs> unintentionally, maybe. So these are uh, all things that we, uh, we we see develop over time and over culture. Traditions uh, move. We could spend some time talking about uh, Victorian ideals and how they ended up in our Christmas. Yeah, so much of what we celebrate now, even here in America, comes from Queen Victoria. She was so influential. She so loved Christmas and, and the celebration. And what Victoria did, um, everybody would copy. And, of course, we had this incredible British empire 
that you'd left and been bad about. But most of the rest of the world were involved. And so what was done in London was copied through so much of the world. It's amazing. And we'll have to, I think we're out of time here. So we'll have to save some of those for next year's Christmas special, talking through about uh, Victoria and then maybe even commercialization and what that means. And then we never got to Krampus. But uh, we'll have to worry about that another year and another time. So that's all that we have for this week in church history. Listeners, we thank you for uh, joining with us in this journey during 2020. We look forward to joining you again in 2021. Uh, Dr. McMullen has been granted sabbatical, so uh, he won't be joining us for at least— We still a... believe in miracles. We still believe in miracles. And, uh, and, and we pray that 21 will be a much better year than 20. Much better year and seeing God's faithfulness yet again for all of our lives, no matter the circumstances we, uh, we have. So listener, thank you again for joining with us. Have a Merry Christmas from those of us here at This Week in Church History.